We are live. I'm Seb 3.0, and today I'm here with Fish and Roya of Quicksilver. Uh, they are the co-founders of Quicksilver, and we're going to be discussing everything Quicksilver. It's been a while since we had an episode about this protocol. Uh, back on episode two or three, I interviewed Joe Bowman, and that, and since then, the protocol has launched. Uh, there's been some uh, some roadblocks since then, but they've cleared them out. Uh, we're also going to be talking about liquid staking in Cosmos more generally. I'm really hoping to get an overview of the liquid staking ecosystem in Cosmos and what's to come for Chris Silver. I'm also dying to find out why they think that users are best equipped to make decisions when it comes to choosing the validators in terms of liquid staking. Before we get started, make sure to hit the like button, hit the notification bell and subscribe to get notified when I go live every week. And of course, anything you hear here is not financial advice. You should also do your own research. My guests, Vish and Roya, are coming up next, right here on The Interop. Hello, hello. How are you doing, guys? Hey, good, good. Hi, Seb. How are you? Um, good. Thanks for being here. This is uh, a long time coming and uh, really glad we can do uh, a follow-up episode about Quicksilver and more specifically, you know, I really want to get into liquid staking on Cosmos because I think uh, it's a topic that a lot of people are interested in. Um, it's funny, like liquid staking's existed in Ethereum for you know some time now and it feels like it's it's now becoming, or for the last couple of months at least, it's, it's become kind of a, a central topic of discussion in the Cosmos ecosystem and one that I think uh, deserves a deep dive. So uh, before we get started, uh, maybe you know introduce yourselves and uh, let uh, my, my listeners know how you got here uh, at this particular point in your life where you're on some guy's podcast. Cool. Thanks, Seb. Uh, really excited to be here. Thanks for having us. Um, I'm Roya. I'm co-founder of the Quicksilver Protocol. Um, a little information about me. Initially, I have a background in traditional finance, where I worked uh, in investment banking for a short while and then moved on to strategy consulting. Um, still in the finance industry, where I work mostly with big European banks and financial institutions. Um, it was super interesting and I learned a lot, but, you know, I always felt this sort of disconnect in terms of values, you could say. Um, and when I got into blockchain and uh, crypto a few years ago, you know, it, it just clicked. Um, I had the opportunity to join Chorus One back then, which is a leading staking service provider. Um, I joined the team when we were around eight people. And I was in charge of managing the company's operation and, and the scale-up of the team. It was uh, pretty intense and super exciting. Um, it's um, where I got to learn so much about, you know, the, uh, the business of staking uh, and, of course, look, liquid staking um, and, uh, and, of course, Cosmos. And uh, it's also where I met the, uh, the people that eventually became my, uh, my co-founders. So, yeah. Yeah, well, you were definitely uh, brought up at the right school, I would say, um, for sure. Yeah, Chorus One is, you know, one of the OGs in the space. And actually, we have some Chorus people here in the chat. 
Hey, hey Rishi. Oh. Hi, guys. Uh, Vish, um, why don't you tell me a little bit about your background and how you, yeah. how you got here? Yeah, so I, I have a background in economics. That's sort of what I studied. And then I moved on to working in a bunch of payments-based startups. Uh, I got into crypto. I was still working for like a payments processor. So still very much in the payment space. But then I got introduced to crypto, right? And there was no going back from there. Uh, so I left the place I was working for. I uh, saw this gig at Chorus One as a research analyst. Applied there. Uh, got it. Um, and I was essentially a research analyst at Chorus for some time. Uh, and at course, I was primarily working on uh, the liquid staking research while also doing other general cosmos research, governance-based research there. And that sort of played into my influence on how we decided, how we designed Quicksilver. And yeah, uh, that's how we got started. Very cool. How big is the team now at Quicksilver? Um, seven people. We're a, we're a pretty lean team. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, so like Quicksilver uh, went live last month. So just a quick disclaimer here. I'm an investor in Quicksilver and I also run a validator. Uh, thought people should know that. Um, so yeah, you guys went live last month. I think, you know, in terms of liquid staking, you guys really helped uh, shape a lot of the narrative and... Um, yeah, a lot of the narrative around liquid staking in the Cosmos ecosystem. You guys were, you know, the first, I think, uh, team to be working on this. Um, and so, like, the Quicksilver launch, I think, was highly anticipated by a lot of people in this space, uh, myself included. So, yeah, how important was this launch, I think, like, for you, but also uh, for the broader ecosystem? Yeah, no, it was uh, super important and it was a, a long time coming. But just um, a little no a little side note there, uh, Quicksilver was not actually sort of the first team to, you know, work and design on a, a liquid staking protocol. The uh, persistence and P-stake team That's had right. around <laughs> for a very, very long time. They're, you know... Um, you know, also uh, present for a, for, a, for a long time in the Cosmos ecosystem. And they had the, their liquid sticky solution for, uh, for a while. So uh, high P-stake. But um, it, it is true that, you know, sort of with, with Quicksilver, it was, you know, brand new in terms of uh, implementation and in terms of uh, approach to liquid staking, where you could see it with the usual, uh, I mean, the traditional approaches to liquid staking that worked with a combination of sort of uh, smart contracts and, and, and such. And from that perspective alone, Quicksilver was um, kind of shifting that narrative and approaching it in a radically different, uh, different way. Uh, first of all, and I mean, we can touch on that in more details later on in the interview, but um, yeah, in terms of, of design, we were sort of the first team to uh, approach it as um, a zone that is, you know, embedded in Cosmos and that will fully leverage like the entire potential of, 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 the, um, of the Cosmos SDK and the IBC stack. Um, and we were also, uh, you know, as far as we know, at least one of the first teams that um, tried to uh, address like the constraints that traditionally came with, with liquid staking 
like um, like I mean, mostly use those constraints that revolve around user choice and user agency with you know a governance rights and validator choice and and that sort of things. So yeah, I mean, you could say we were super happy to have started this conversation in Cosmos back in February with our white paper and when we came out of stealth and the engagement was was amazing and yeah we we loved having that conversation with with the community and collecting feedback on on our design and seeing that engagement was was really really cool yeah absolutely uh there's been a lot of i mean i think that there's been a lot of conversation around this and certainly like you guys have i think really helped change the narrative around the design because i mean like yeah peace take was was early but I don't know. I mean, I, to me, they, they feel like something a little bit unique, whereas like Quicksilver is a liquid staking zone that is meant to be like ecosystem agnostic that uh, works across the entire ecosystem, whereas P-Stake, um, you, you like one had to move their, one has to move their assets there, at least when I used it. And, and then there was this whole thing with Ethereum. It just felt like a very kind of weird um I would say weird, but like not not a, a very um, fluid experience in, in in my in my view. Like maybe that's changed now, but like sure. the the vision for Quicksilver, I think, was was very much aligned with yeah. or is very much aligned with like interchain uh, interoperability. And, yeah, which I mean, I like a little bit. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, no um, But just you know, to be fair to the uh, to the persistence team, it is also true that. Um, we, we, we designed Quicksilver at a, at a much different time where uh, the uh, capabilities for a much smoother um, user experience and like a much frictionless liquid staking protocol were made possible by the advancement of like the, uh, the, the, uh, the Cosmos SDK uh, technology, right? Because uh, what, what we started building with, with Quicksilver was only possible because of... Um, the interchain accounts, for example, right, and the liquidity staking modules. So, um, yeah, I mean, we 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 worked a lot and we we put a lot of thoughts into crafting Quicksilver. But I'm not going to lie; like we were also utterly spoiled with <laughs> the, the 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 technology that the other teams in the in the ecosystem were were building and that are allowing us to uh, to to bring. Um, like a, a smoother UX and a much more frictionless uh, protocol. So the launch was uh, initially planned uh, a little bit earlier. So I think in October and uh, or September maybe, but it was delayed. Um, what I, I think, like maybe just explaining here to the community, you know, like what happened and why the launch ended up being you know several months later after it was uh, it was planned. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, initially we were scheduled to launch uh, in September, but, you know, after all the audits were wrapped up and everything, we detected a couple bugs and we also realized that we could totally improve on automated test coverage there. And in the meantime, uh, Stride launched their own, you know, liquid staking product the same day. So, you know, after giving it some thoughts, we figured that launching a basic liquid staking product, um, you know, it only made sense if it hit the market first. 
but it didn't really make uh, much sense anymore to um, sort of race to market with a minimal product. So we, we sort of decided that if Quicksilver was not going to be the first liquid staking protocol to launch on Cosmos, and, and obviously I mean like the first liquid staking protocol using an ICA implementation, um, so if we were not going to do that, instead, let's take some more time, test more, maybe wait for some core uh, infrastructure like stable swap pools on osmosis, for example, or uh, the liquidity staking module being closer to, uh, to, to, to hit the Cosmos hub. And also maybe develop, you know, the bulk of the other features that we were planning to develop after launch. Um, and then launch with a product that's more fleshed out and can bring more value to users and allow them to experiment uh, a lot more with some new stuff. So, um, yeah, this is why we, we delayed, like we, we decided to, uh, to delay it uh, a bunch more. And we, we launched the Quicksilver chain mid-December. Um, we relaunched it in in January after the attack, and 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 we can discuss that also. And uh, yeah, now we're uh, in a position to sort of steadily release, you know, most of the protocol's core features uh, early this year, as opposed to you know launch a liquid staking MVP and then develop and then release additional features. Yeah. Um, so yeah, which is you know exciting because we have a bunch of of cool features in store like. Uh, signaling intent and participation rewards and permissioned cosmosm and such that will be you know rolled out soon. Cool. So let's talk about this uh, this chain halt and and also the vulnerability that led to you guys having to halt the chain. Mm -hmm. So the just for clarification here, so like Quicksilver didn't have a vulnerability, but there was a vulnerability in the Cosmos Hub that. Um, led uh, the Quicksilver team to have to halt the chain. So can you maybe walk us through you know, the series of events that led this to happen? And um, yeah, and then and we can talk about, you know, why yeah. this happened, <laughs> which is a mystery sure. to me. Yeah. Sure. I mean, um, obviously, Joe is the technical guy and he would be in a much better position to sort of, you, you know, explain the, the, the technicalities of it all. And we do have an incident report live. so. If, if you or your listeners today haven't checked that out, like it's, it's very detailed, yeah. but um, I'm going to try to walk you through what happened. Um, so after, um, after launch, uh, we started the governance proposal on the Quicksilver chain to onboard the Cosmos Hub, which was the first chain that was you know, set to be onboarded on the protocol. So basically chain onboarding, um, by the way, along with any other decision that's pertaining to the to the future of the protocol, it's all managed through governance on the Quicksilver chain. So also you have to remember that you know Quicksilver is is using interchain accounts to uh, to onboard chains. And the way it works is that a controller chain, you know, in this case, Quicksilver, um, it registers an account on a host chain, in this case, the Cosmos Hub, and opens an IBC channel between the two chains. And um, the way, you know, the sort of technical workflow is, and feel free to jump in, Vish, if you, <laughs> if you think uh, we need to add anything here. Um, the technical workflow is, you know, 
holders of, of atoms would deposit atoms into the account created by Quicksilver so that, you know, the protocol controls the funds and issues Q atoms for users. Um, now, unfortunately, when that happened, uh, or rather when that was happening, an attacker um, used a security, you know, vulnerability in the in, in, in the version of, of, of IBC Go that the hub was using at the time and to, you know, sort of attack and block Quicksilver's onboarding on the hub. And because of that vulnerability, um, while the hub was being onboarded, the bad actor was able to determine the address of the protocol's account and um, he initialized it. I mean, he or she <laughs> initialized the account by um by sending tokens to it it's probably uh, he but yeah. <laughs> just statistically probably he i don't know you know they <laughs> and then anyway they initialize the account um and and the way you do that is that you you send tokens to it so they did that before we could do the account registration so so, so but, this was kind of happening in real time is what you're saying that like this person was watching the chain or this Whatever this 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 uh, this shadowy supercoder was watching the chain um, as you guys were doing this, or did it happen sort of afterwards? So that's oh sorry, yeah. That that's an interesting question because like th the fact that we onboard zones uh, via governance gave the attacker a bigger window of opportunity to 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 perpetrate yeah. the attack because. The proposal yeah. was live for like three days, you know, so they had sort of ample time to, to, to plan for things. Also, the onboarding and registration time was also known in the proposal. So, yeah, that's that 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 provided ample opportunity. <laughs> Desha, do you want to add something here? Yeah, no, it's essentially that, like given that it's a governance proposal, uh, and governance proposals for chain onboarding are usually a good thing, right? Because it gives yeah. transparency as to what the interchain account is when it's being registered, uh, things like that. Uh, but yeah, essentially, it being a governance proposal gave so gave the mentally the attacker didn't have to do this in real time. Uh, the information was sort of open source. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so the attacker then gains control of this ICA account, this interchain account. Or, or no, no, sorry, no. not gains control, but 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 gains ownership. Not right. really. Like that's the nuance here, and that what that's what makes it such a weird attack. The attacker has no control or access to or ownership of the interchain account. All they do is cut off or access to the Quicksilver zone. So okay, there's no financial gain to be had from this attack. It's like pure sabotage, uh, which is okay. why we were a bit caught off guard because like, all of our audits and internal efforts were focused on ensuring funds never get lost, right? That's your core testing and your core security mechanism. Uh, but this was just sabotage. This was just done to... Uh, but so here's where like, here's where this falls apart for me. Cause like, okay, there's, there's, and it's not to put any blame on, on anyone, right? Or, except for like, maybe like a malicious person who, you know, wants to do harm. Uh, but, um, when audits are done, obviously, like the code that you guys have written gets audited, but there are dependencies, right? And IBC is one of those dependencies. 
how you know, knowing that this vulnerability was known um, and we'll get to like why the hub didn't patch this thing, you know, there's been some debate about that, but knowing that this thing was known and that like the audit knew that IBC and Interchain accounts was a dependency. How did the audit not pick up that whatever chains you guys onboard, like, is that outside the scope of the audit? Because it seems like it should be in the scope of the audit to say, whatever chains you onboard should be of this IBC version because there's this, this bug that's been discovered. And that is a dependency of like, I know nothing about audits, but it just seems to me like the scope of the audit should go beyond like just the code that you write, but also the things that your protocol is dependent on. Yeah. I mean, that does technically make sense, but in terms of like discovering this bug, it's the first time it's ever happened. Uh, there's only been a handful of ICA zone registries. Uh, yeah. So uh, that must have definitely been one element of it. And the second thing also, I think it has to do with like Cosmos Hub's IBC versioning. Uh, the differences between one version and the other are very subtle. Uh, yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if this was missed, especially when all the focus was directed towards how to make sure the funds are absolutely safe. Uh, yeah. And but um sorry go ahead yeah go ahead but um yeah no i mean point taken and what 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 we did is now you know preemptively we added we added that to the sort of hard technical requirement to get onboarded on quicksilver now mo moving on you know like up until now the the only sort of technical requirement was you know enabling interchain accounts on the native chain with yeah. a bunch of um, sort of uh, message types that needs to be enabled. So now we also added the a requirement of, you know, having the chain run on IBC Go version three or above so mm. that, you know, it does not, it does not happen in the future. Right. Um and uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose, you know, there is, um, to, to, to a certain extent, it is going to be sort of trial and, and error process. And what we are going to do is that, you know, whenever we, like our attention is, is brought to something, uh, we will, you know, make it public and add it to the sort of requirements and, and, and good practices. Yeah. So why, why is it that the hub was running on a version? Because, I mean, I, I talked to some people and apparently this had been discovered back in March or it was alerted back in March and there was a patch that was used. I mean, this is, this is like a six-month-old bug. How is the Cosmos hub not running the latest software? Like, I, I don't understand how this is possible. Um, do we have, again, do we have ideas for this or...? Yeah. See, I think, again, I, think I can't answer this question. It's a question for uh, you know, the hub folk. But yeah. my guess would be that because, like, this vulnerability wasn't really known, uh, that, and uh, I, I, think, I, I suppose that such an attack wasn't really envisioned. So, yes. But it, but it was known, wasn't it? Wasn't it known? I mean, like, didn't... It was, it was known that... Uh, it was essentially known that interchain accounts, the creation of interchain accounts can be deterministic. And... Yeah. Like the IBC is running in a version where that's possible. We got to connect A and B to uh, sort of make this happen. 
Uh, so whoever the attacker was, I mean, props to their very intimate knowledge of uh, yeah. IBC. Uh, but yeah, so I, I would potentially make that as a reason. And also because this was supposed to be part of the row upgrade, which kept getting pushed back. So I think they were waiting for the upgrade uh, to just add it in. Mm. Uh, and it might, Do you have a sense of how many other chains, like you, because you guys now have this as a dependency, do we have a sense of like other chains if they're also running old software or I guess for me, it just opened up this, yeah. it just opened up this, um, this kind of idea that like chains are not running, chains may not be running the latest software. And I wonder if we have an idea of like, if other chains are also running latest software or on like older versions of stuff that might be vulnerable. I think as far as I'm aware, last we've checked most of the other chains, which have interchain accounts enabled, uh, are yeah. running the latest version. At okay. least all the chains that are, you know, currently at a, you know, high priority in terms of onboarding in our pipeline. Yeah, uh, yeah they're all running the the appropriate version. Okay. What, what like, I guess the the question I, I I always ask after you know encountering stuff like this is like, what do we learn here? And and uh, I, I wonder. I mean, obviously, like internally, you guys have learned that. There's a there there's a there's a dependency on you know also versioning of the protocols that uh, you know the dependencies that other chains have. But do you think that there are broader lessons for the ecosystem here as well? Because it it feels like as ICA and IBC and like you know interchain queries and and all of these interoperability protocols um, start rolling out and becoming more. Um, just yeah, more used that this sort of thing really needs to be taken seriously, and um, and it just opens up the problem space. Like it just, just makes it much harder when you have chains that are you know connecting and having to keep up with you know the versions of all the other chains are connected with. And yeah, do we have a sense of maybe like some best practices or things that? We, we should be looking out for as an ecosystem to prevent these kind I mean and in this case it wasn't you know in this case okay like I know some people on your team lost some some funds and you know the, the amounts were were reasonably small but um yeah like what's the lesson here <laughs> sorry this is kind of a long-winded question yeah <laughs> I, I think see yeah. like personally I see two areas um, like as more products use interchain accounts and interchain queries uh, we should start looking at things in a two-chain manner. Like currently, uh, you know, like when we think about security on blockchain, we think about it on one piece of code running on one chain. And that's how you view security, right? But I think that perspective has to change. And I think it is changing, right, over, with time. And as more cases of interchain accounts and interchain queries goes live. The second thing uh, is also like governance thrift, so to say, uh, is important, right? Like I think one of the reasons like a chain's governance has to be nimble enough for upgrades to be pushed out fast. Uh, mm. And, you know, like I, I don't blame folks at Cosmos Hub, right? Like I fully empathize with, the, with their situation, like how difficult it is to get everything together on Cosmos Hub, put up a proposal, get that passed. Uh, it, it's quite an endeavor, so it makes sense that they batch a lot of things. Well, on smaller chains, you can have governance proposals go out and uh, yeah. You know, so. Also, there it, there's also the 
not issue, but the matter of decentralization here. Also, you know, trying to be mindful of that. Like the Cosmos ecosystem is this super decentralized ecosystem where there's no, you know, one or two teams running the show. And, you know, even though it's like, it is a great thing and it is sort of a, something to be, to, 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 to aspire to, um, this can be sort of, I mean, not the perils, but you know, what, what comes also with, with decentralization. So yeah, just trying to be mindful that there are lots of team involved and a lot of things to tackle and a lot of things to coordinate on. And that mustn't be, you know, always uh, the easiest thing to do. So yeah, like you said, thankfully, uh, no funds were, you know, really lost and all users were were uh, uh, compensated and the impacts were were minimal financially uh, at least so yeah i think you guys said there was something like uh 3000 atoms from your team and like 300 from other other people so yeah that's i mean you know we're not talking about millions of dollars here at current prices at least we're talking about like several tens of thousands maybe um so much, much, much more manageable, I guess, in terms of yeah, uh, paying back users yeah. or yeah, yeah, making users whole. But also, it's not permanently lost; like it can be recovered. It's just it's yeah, that's we, that's the that's the thing too. You're just got always. It's like this parody bug. It's like you know, <laughs> or or like yeah, um, yeah. Maybe they're, they're lost until the next Cosmos Hub upgrade, but that's about it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I feel like. Their, their software wasn't patched like they should they should issue a patch to return these funds you know um maybe that's something that that uh that can be done you know even if it's a, it's not that much money but it could be at some point yeah um, but you know the guy at team was was very responsive and you know we, we we got in contact right away and they were very eager to uh you know help in in, in any way they could and sure. um yeah so all right. Well, let's uh, let's leave that aside for now. Um, but yeah, thanks for clearing all that up. I'm sure people uh, people appreciate it. Um, so yeah, let's talk about liquid staking and Cosmos. Like you, you talked a bit earlier, Royal, about the constraints that uh, exist uh, when implementing liquid staking in, in the Cosmos ecosystem. Like, what's unique about Cosmos and liquid staking with regards to liquid staking, and you know, what are these constraints uh, that we have to make up for? Yeah, sure, sure. So um, I suppose these these constraints, like they're not, like they didn't come up with liquids taken in Cosmos. They were sort of like attached to liquids taken, generally speaking. Um, you know, it's the the, but especially when you when you consider Cosmos, there was this this issue of scalability you know, where Cosmos is this huge ecosystem with a lot of, of chains. And obviously, if you want to build something native to Cosmos, like the traditional uh, model of, you know, smart contracts, like it's it's not um, massively scalable. Um, and then there was the issue of uh, user experience, where traditionally it's, it's a very sticky uh, user experience, where, you know, you have to unbound your assets, wait through an unbonding period, and then, you know, sort of stake them with, with a liquid staking provider. Um, but, uh, you know, just generally speaking, also there's 
there are some specificities to Cosmos that make it like very different from, you know, Ethereum, for example, in a lot of ways, because, you know, Ethereum is sort of where, where everything uh, started. And... I mean, just, just to maybe interject here, one of the things I think that you just mentioned that sticks stands out about Ethereum is that whenever liquid staking started in Ethereum, there was not this idea that you had to unbond your assets because the assets were effectively on, you know, not staked. So you could just like not have stake, all this liquidity yeah, sure. move into liquid staking, which sure. of course in Cosmos is different, yeah. but please go ahead. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And obviously like potentially there, there was certainly some, some constraints in Ethereum, but historically it was a much easier deal, you know, building liquid staking in, in Ethereum because you know, originally um, in Ethereum, in any way, like you couldn't delegate anything less than 30, 32 ETH or something like that, which is, you know, a lot. And most people, most users don't have that, that amount. So, you know, naturally what that meant was that, you know, you needed staking pools to sort of aggregate people's, people's funds so that they could get staked. And, you know, when you, when you consider that, like, it, it, it sort of meant two things. Like it meant that, first of all, delegators, like they did not have this sort of close-knit relationship with validators uh, that you see here in Cosmos where they would, I don't know, like research a validator and try to figure out which one is, is more performant and or participates in governance and, you know, allocate their stake accordingly. So, you know, back then, like validator choice was not really a thing in, in, in Ethereum the same way that it is in, in Cosmos. And I suppose it, it, it also meant that, you know, people with ETH, they were already sort of familiarized with this model where your ETH is sort of staked for you. So in that regard, like liquid staking, at least as, as brought up by, by Lido back then, it was kind of the natural progression of, of the staking model in Ethereum anyway. Like it wasn't a huge sort of cultural shift uh, for, for people from my perspective. And I, I, I really believe that that must have been super powerful in, in driving up usage for liquid staking in Ethereum also. And, you know, the, the, the sort of other thing that is a huge difference between the two ecosystems is, is governance, you know, obviously. Um, you know, each validator can only stake 30 ETH at the time. And so validators had to spin up, you know, multiple nodes and stuff. And so this thing of, as a user, the more you delegate to a validator, the more it, it, it increases their voting power, you know, conceptually, it, it wasn't like, it, it wasn't as much a concern as, as it would be in, in Cosmos, for example, so, you know, from, from, from our perspective back then when we started iterating on, on the first ideas for a liquid staking solution on Cosmos, um, it was clear that the Lido model of, of doing liquid staking, which was designed for Ethereum, uh, would just not work in Cosmos all that well. Because um, for starters, like there's there's a vibrant ecosystem of validators uh, in Cosmos. Like in, in, in the ecosystem, they don't just provide infrastructure they are you know they 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 produce educational content they give their opinion and they weigh in like in in all sorts of uh, community discussions they contribute um in a number of ways including <laughs> including pull requests in some cases um you know there's also 
a higher, like a much higher level of, of accountability with regards to governance, uh, with validators where the community is super engaged um, and, you know, they also hold validators accountable for, for their votes and, and how they vote. And yeah, I mean, you know, there, there isn't a week that goes by without like a community-wide discussion about one proposal yeah. or another on Osmosis or Juno or the Hub. And um, yeah, I mean, also on a, on, a, on a sort of personal level, my introduction to Cosmos was made through governance a few years ago. Uh, because back at Chorus One, I used to keep track of governance proposals, you know, across multiple ecosystems to work on, you know, what was going on and how we would be voting on proposals as a validator. So Cosmos really stood out to me pretty quickly in terms of, well, like the number of proposals that were live every week for starters, but also yeah. <laughs> the level of engagement, uh, you know, that, that you usually see around um, those proposals. So, um, yeah, I suppose, like, to, to, to sort of sum things up, the delegator-validator relationship is very, very special in, in Cosmos, and, and governance is super important as well. So from, from that perspective alone, the Lido model was great in Ethereum, but we had a sort of strong feeling that you couldn't, you know, replicate that in Cosmos. Like, you couldn't ask uh, people in Cosmos to forfeit all of that in order to liquid stake. And... You know, also, I mean, in hindsight, also, there was like this realization that liquid staking was a kind of centralizing force in Ethereum. And, you know, again, the, the, the validator whitelist model where, you know, a liquid staking provider would sort of curate validators and vet them and make sure that they were performant and they had good infrastructure, um, all of that, well, you know, like... That, that model, that wireless model, like it, you could say that it made complete sense in Ethereum. Um, and Ethereum has, I don't know, like a couple hundred thousand validator nodes or something, <laughs> it's, it's, which is a lot. And it's, it's a whole different story on, on Cosmos. And as you know, like most chains only have a val set of around 120 validators. So that was yeah. a huge concern for us in terms of, what would our liquid staking solution look like? So um, yeah, like this, this is why sort of even from the early days, um, it was clear to us that in order to make it in Cosmos, um, a liquid staking protocol really had to take into consideration, um, you know, everything that made Cosmos unique uh, because otherwise we thought that it just, it, it would not work out the same. And it was also informed by our sort of own experience uh, back at Chorus One, because, you know, as you know, um, Chorus One built Lido for Solana. And, you know, we had a front row seat witnessing, you know, how the Lido model worked well in Ethereum, but it didn't really take off on, on Solana in the same way. So we had a hunch that we needed something different for, for Cosmos. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think, I think one of the things, obviously, that the that stands out here is, is like, you know, liquid staking in Ethereum or on Solana or on any of these kind of like monolithic chains implies a single liquid staked asset usually, right? It is like the, the chain's token. Whereas in, in Cosmos, there are so many different approaches. You could say, hey, I'm going to build a liquid staking product for this specific chain. In fact, there are chains, I think that probably, I mean, there are chains that have that approach. So like Osmosis being 
one of them. And certainly there's other chains, I think, that want to do their own liquid staking. I think FMOS is one of those chains as well. And and then there's the the Quicksilver approach and, and also you know the stride approach, which is to say, here's a protocol that is cross-chain, that, that works across the interchain that allows people to stake, to do liquid staking on, on any chain on which uh, we're onboarded. And that that just opens up, I, I think, a whole uh, new um, kind of like space, like DeFi space as well that like we haven't we haven't talked about. And I, 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 I don't I haven't heard very many people talk about it, but like I feel like Quicksilver itself can become uh, a, 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 you know, it can become a very important platform in terms of DeFi liquidity. And then like, what does that mean in terms of attracting liquidity to, to Quicksilver and like the importance of Quicksilver in terms of attracting liquidity? So I wonder if, if maybe, um, you know, looking sort of forward here, what is the um, what is the place that a protocol like Quicksilver occupies when as a as a pillar of DeFi when it has, let's say, you know, 50% of staked Atom and staked, uh, what like staked, like maybe, you know, staked Osmo and like you know, the top chains in the ecosystem uh, as, as, uh, as Q assets. Yeah. And you know, like what you just said, right? About like attracting all of this DeFi liquidity to Quicksilver. I don't think that realistically works in Cosmos or any chain that tries doing that essentially gets into like a pissing match with every other chain, right? Uh, and I think this is where Quicksilver needs to like reorient or like think about it differently, like where we have this interchain infrastructure, we have interchain accounts, we have interchain queries, and the Quicksilver zone issues, as you said, or might issue 50% of, add them 50% of all the major chains. I think the question for us then is how do we bring this value onto the Quicksilver chain? Not necessarily these assets, right? Uh, and just to give you examples of like what I'm talking about here, like you could have your assets, like Q assets uh, on an osmosis pool, but use them on Quicksilver, right? If you have an inter interchain account on osmosis, uh, you have interchain queries to check the state of this asset every epoch or whatever time frame you want. Uh, you could fundamentally use it on the Quicksilver chain. You could use it to borrow lend on Quicksilver. You could, I mean, stable coins on Quicksilver. You can do whatever, uh, right? So you don't need to compete for liquidity with other chains. Uh, so Quicksilver approach is these assets can be wherever in the interchain. They're built to go to places. Uh, but this, there should also be that use case on Quicksilver. And maybe that use case doesn't even have to be super DeFi oriented. It could be purely governance oriented, right? Like, you know, theoretically on Quicksilver, you can build governance uh, indices of, of sorts, right? Like you can essentially ask people to store their governance power with you and you make decisions for them. All of this is possible on Quicksilver, right? You can create validator indices on Quicksilver. Uh, and you can make all of this happen with interchain accounts and interchain queries. And the assets can be wherever they want to be. And, uh, so that's sort of the vision that I have for Quicksilver. And I see the unique role a quick silver can play. Can can you expand on on validator indices and governance indices? Like, what does that mean, and how how would that, um, like, what what would be the use utility of that? 
Yeah, so technically on, on Quicksilver, you have uh, proxy governance, right? That's something that we're, we're working towards where you can have your queue as assets on other chains, but still use them to vote on native governance proposals. So to make it simple, you've come to Quicksilver, you've minted some queue atom, you've taken it to an osmosis pool. What we want you to be able to do is vote uh, with that queue atom without you having to pull that out of the osmosis pool. And it could be anywhere for that, for that matter, right? Uh, so you have this infrastructure built out in Quicksilver, right? Now assume somebody builds a Cosmosm contract on top of Quicksilver saying, hey, I'm, I'm a protocol politician of sorts. I have influence in Cosmos. I understand things. Uh, if you guys want, you can delegate your voting power to me, right? And I can make decisions and you can have a whole market on that. Uh, that's possible to do on Quicksilver, right? Uh, so this is some a sort of governance experimentation, right? The Cosmos Hub consensus doesn't allow you to vote like this. Cosmos Hub consensus only lets you give your governance power to validators. But now on the liquid staking layer, you could make all of this happen uh, without interfering with consensus in any way. Okay. And similar things with validator, right? Uh, yeah, sorry. Similar thing with no, validator. Yeah, yeah but the, the, what's the what's this validator in, in this uh, yeah, index? So, so Quicksilver allows you to signal intent across validators, right? Uh, so yeah. if you're new to Cosmos, you find it difficult to make validator choices, but you trust someone to do it for you. Uh, you could somebody could essentially set an intent as a Cosmosm contract, uh, and you could essentially subscribe to that intent, and everything you state would be staked according to their allocation. Because Quicksilver lets you allocate your assets to validator, validators at great detail, right? You could go 10% to validator A, 15% to validator B. So you can really spread that out and you can have professionals who the community trusts do some of, some of that spreading. And you know, I'm sure many of the delegates, delegators want to make their own choices and you know, more power to that. So, one one thing that you know I mentioned or like in the intro is that you guys think that it's you know and obviously this is part I think of the the Quicksilver vision is that users are 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 able to make decisions about like the governance so they're able to make governance decisions with any of the assets they have uh, staked with Quicksilver and they're also able to choose their validator set um, or like the the validators with with which their their tokens are are staked. Um, why do you think that, that it's up to users? Because like, there is a counterpoint here that says, uh, you know, if Quicksilver is concerned about decentralization, they can choose to, um, they could say, well, no, users are not best equipped. It's up like if, if 50% of atoms are staked through Quicksilver and for some reason, like, you know, 90% of those are staked with like one validator, that's a huge amount of power with one validator. Quicksilver could say, look, like we think this is not a great situation we are going to create different allocations we're, we're going to reallocate essentially you know all the atoms that are staked with us because we're so powerful with a broader set of validators such that that such that that uh, that staking is more decentralized um that's kind of like a counterpoint to, to that to that logic but yeah curious to you know why why you think like that users are always in the best uh position to make uh these choices yeah. So, like personally, I think I, like, I don't think liquid staking protocols should interfere with consensus. Uh, the Cosmos or the Tendermint consensus allows people to choose their validators. It allows people to de delegators to determine who holds how much voting power. Uh, so, I don't think at the liquid staking layer we should 
uh, alter that consensus mechanism in any way. That's one way to look at it, right? Like another way to look at it, the approach you're talking about, the absolute decentralization approach, uh, is essentially what Marinade did on Solana, right? They exclude the top how many ever validators and distribute stake to everyone else equally. Uh, well, we think that's that's definitely better than having a small whitelist and delegating amongst them. Uh, like I view it as like an evolution in liquid staking design. So Lido on Ethereum started with a small set delegated to them. Marinade saw the saw the centralizing effects of that and went with absolute decentralization. Mm. Uh, but the way we look at it, absolute decentralization is probably not the best way to allocate stake, right? Uh, stake should be allocated to validators based on how, how people decide it to be, right? You can have validators that objectively contribute more uh, to a particular chain and community and might deserve uh, more stake, right? And there's, and you can't really quantify this. You can't say, okay, if you run a, re if you run a relay on, from chain A to B, you get this much. If you write four articles a week, you get this much. It's impossible to quantify like the hundreds of factors that go into determining how validators are chosen. So the best we can do is equip users to make choice and educate users on what's happening. Uh, and you know, that's the most democratic solution uh, mm. to validate distribution. Yeah. So how is, what, what, what are the, the parameters that users should um, look at when making these choices? So like, choosing to stake I, I guess this is less about less about choice of validators or or governance um and and and, and i do see the utility I, I do see the the interest in creating a market like a governance market for example where you know you you delegate all your governance um or maybe parts of your governance to like third parties that you trust and I think that would be an interesting evolution in, 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 in the dynamics of governance. But when, um, when choosing a liquid staking provider, because it, it's, I, I feel like liquid staking is, is sort of a, a winner take all market. Um, and I'm curious to, or at least like in Ethereum and Solana, that is the way things have kind of played out. Um, what, what are, what are the, what are the things users should be looking at when choosing a liquid staking provider, uh, you know, choosing to stake with Quicksilver or with Stride or, or any other ones that might come up or, you know, on the other axes of this matrix is like choosing to stake with Quicksilver or using a chain's native liquid staking protocol, you know, in, in, in the likes of like superfluid staking or, or any other protocol that might implement their own, internal liquid staking protocol? How, how does the user make that choice? What are the what are the parameters they should be looking at? Right. So I think there's a few things to this, right? First, and again, I'll go with this in the order of priority for me, right? And others might have different priorities. Sure. Uh, so I think for me, the number one thing would be, you know, apart from, you know, safety and, and like code audits and things like that, which would be the first thing you check. The second thing would be how the protocol distributes state. Which is what most people won't check, but sure. <laughs> uh, I'm glad you're they, 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 they trust someone to check it for them, at least. Yeah. 
hopefully. But yeah, so uh, like apart from that, the first thing I would check is how a protocol distributes uh, its stake. Like any liquid staking protocol has two parts to it, the liquid staking part and the distribution part. So the distribution part often neglected uh, something to be checked out. The second thing, or the third thing I check on is what are my DeFi possibilities? You know, what's my liquidity looking like with this asset? What what can I do with this asset? Like, why am I minting this asset? Can I, does this provide me any extra benefits, right? Now the benefits could be financial, like are there any yield opportunities? Is that, are there sustainable lending markets with this that I think are low risk? Uh, that's one element to it, but there's also like the other element to it, right? Like, can I vote with this asset? Like currently, if I have Atom, I use it on Osmosis or any other DeFi protocol, I miss out on Cosmos governance. So if I'm a governance-minded user, I have to leave Cosmos DeFi aside and continue to stake my assets. So this could provide an extra value to me. So th that's another coin, uh, other side of the coin in terms of value. Uh, yeah, I think those are the three things I'd look at. Violated distribution, DeFi value, and other stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, to also to build up on on what Vish uh, just said, and to come back to sort of your your question and your comments ab about you know liquid staking being a winner takes all uh, situation. So historically, that proved proven true in you know Solana and and Lido, but you know in Cosmos, I personally think it's still too early to draw any hard conclusions. Like right now, in terms of liquid staking offering, there are multiple um, multiple providers with different approaches. But you know, the overall TVL is still you know very very negligible compared to the market cap of the ecosystem, or or you know even compared to the market cap of of the Cosmos Hub. And yeah. in that regard, I really think that the liquidity staking module will you know go a long way to increase usage for liquid staking. Because um, as you know, the, the LSM will allow users to transfer their delegation to, to liquid staking providers without unbonding, which is, which is really great, I mean, for the security of native chains. But it's also really cool from a UX perspective because users won't need to unstake, go through an unbonding period, stake again with the liquid staking protocol. And so that's not like the case the yet, right? Like, th th sorry, but, the, but currently that module is not activated. So any liquid staking that happens now, users have to have liquid assets in order to stake. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Okay. But the LSM is poised to be enabled on the hub in the next few weeks, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Cool. And, you know, sort of just to circle back to also what, what Vish was saying earlier, I think there's also the matter of use cases to consider, right? Because we talk a lot about liquid staking, but you know, actually liquid staking is just sort of the first step that, you know, aims to facilitate um, DeFi participation and DeFi adoption. And I think that, you know, the DeFi ecosystem that's native to Cosmos, like it's, it's absolutely brilliant and there's a lot of cool stuff being built and, um, and you know, you could still say that we're not yet at a stage where it's, you know, thriving in the same way that it is on Ethereum or or on Solana, for example, which, you know, will 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 obviously change in the next few years. I'm I'm, I'm sure. And um, sort of just to 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 finish on on this topic, 
you know, at the end of the day, Cosmos is about choice, right? Um, it always have been, you know, from from the concept of sort of app chains that are interoperable but still sovereign to, you know, the high level of governance participation, for example. Cosmos is, is about sovereignty. It's about choice. And from that perspective alone, um, and, and I fully appreciate here that I'm, you know, now speaking less as a co-founder of Quicksilver and more as a, you know, as a cosmonaut. From, from that perspective alone of sovereignty, which is central in Cosmos, I think that multiple liquid staking offerings that have, you know, different edges and that speak to different users. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's just great. Hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And, and, but yeah, I think, I think that where, uh, you know, where with Ethereum and Solana, you know, there have been kind of clear market winners and there's been, uh, I don't follow the Solana ecosystem so much, but um, there uh, in, in Ethereum, at least there has been like quite a, quite a bit of conversation and, and debate around centralization of power and then, like, you know, I think compounded to that has been this whole like flashbots OFAC compliance thing. But with with Cosmos, on the other hand, like this this fragmentation also uh, perhaps causes user experience issues, right? So the other um, the other uh, sort of opposite on that spectrum is that we have like very fragmented liquid staking, and that I think could affect user experience where you you might have like some protocols that are compatible with where like assets can you know are like you know can be leveraged to do DeFi uh where on other platforms maybe like those are other DeFi platforms. So I, I feel like this fragmentation can also uh lead to problems or a more complexity in the ecosystem. Um where where do you think is the the right balance to strike and where do you think things will maybe settle? Um, yeah. Yeah. So on this, um, I'm going to talk about the LSM now. And this answers two questions, essentially, right? This answers why I think that Cosmos is definitely not going to be a winner-takes-all liquid-staking market. Uh, and also how you could deal with liquidity fragmentation, right? What the LSM does is not only let people transfer their staked assets into liquid staking assets. They also let you transfer from one liquid staking provider to another instantaneously without unbonding. Now you have, well, yeah, you probably need collaboration between the two providers, but it, it's doable. Uh, now on because on other ecosystems like Ethereum, for example, you've had like very sticky liquid staking providers with very loyal user bases that shore up DeFi integrations and liquidity. And this makes it impossible for anyone else to enter the market, right? Uh, so you have tightly concentrated liquidity around one asset, and that and that asset is the winner. But you have a very hierarchical structure that that starts from either having a superior product or being first, and then maintaining deep liquidity. Now on Cosmos, both of those don't hold true because of the LSM. Uh, as people can move their stake around to different providers without unstaking, you likely see a lot of movement uh, amongst liquid staking providers as they keep shipping out new features and the market will sort of sort itself out, right? And the second okay. thing, oh, 
And the second part of the thing, you know, when it comes to liquidity fragmentation, the LSM could also be used to prevent that. Like, let's say I have SD Atom uh, on a lending protocol, right? The price of SD Atom or Atom falls, it needs to be liquidated. But I don't have enough SD Atom liquidity. You could theoretically transfer that delegation share to Quicksilver, get Q Atom and liquidate that, right? So if all of us got together and said, hey, let's concentrate all of our liquidity, all liquid saving providers, uh, you could totally like essentially have pooled liquidity across different token denominations. But if you can transfer between those token denominations instantly, then you have liquidity across every asset. Uh, so if you're a new liquid saving protocol that sort of gets into this alliance with other liquid saving protocols, you're, uh, there's room for you in the market. So you can have that decentralization, you can have that diversity, you can have different product offerings. Uh, and basically, yeah, just get along. Hmm. And, and what about this issue of centralization of governance power? And like, this is something that a lot of people have brought up in, in Cosmos. And also, uh, you know, during the whole Atom 2.0 debate, uh, you know, there, there was at least one uh, very loud and vocal voice that uh, um, had some concerns. And I think like not illegitimate concerns about liquid staking. Um, and, and specifically, I think in an interchain security uh, context where you know, liquid staking providers could effectively, um, I think, I think, so I don't remember exactly what the attack was, but it was something in the lines of uh, liquid staking providers on consumer chains of interchain security would be able to pass governance proposals to effectively like unlock all of the stake. And then, um, uh, yeah, um, yeah. I, I can't remember exactly, but the, yeah, yeah. But, but I think, I think centralization of power is the, is the main concern here. Um, how, how do you, how do you address that? Like does, does Quicksilver, um, does Quicksilver have the ability to overtake governance? Like technically does it have the ability to overtake governance on, on proposals? Um, or is that like solely in the hands of, of, of users. So the only case in which Quicksilver would have that kind of power, and by Quicksilver, I mean the chain or the team, right? Uh, is if uh, somebody got hold of 51% of all Quick and somebody got hold of 51%, 100% of all Q atom, and mm. that 100% of Q atom represented 51% of all atom, right? So you're talking about a very long winded sort of economic attack. And such an attack doesn't happen overnight, right? Like if you see more than 50% of Atom being unlocked in QAtom, that's probably not a good thing. That's why we have multiple liquid staking providers, like delegate to other providers, right? And with the LSM, you can do that instantly. Uh, no mm. need for the, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. I think in, in Ethereum, they're having this conversation about Lido voluntarily delegating away to other liquid staking providers, right? You have the LSM, do it. and. Currently, we have a good diversity of liquid staking providers. I think there's five, maybe six of them um, that I'm hearing about. So, which which are the? Of, I mean, so there's there's Stride, there's Persistence. Which are the other ones? I think there's Stride, Persistence, Supernova. Okay. Uh, and there was one more Staffy, if I'm not wrong. Okay. Uh, and there's Stake Easy. Okay. You're right. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there's a bunch of providers, right? All of them have cool products. Uh, so if you if you see one liquid staking protocol, even getting 20, 30% of stake, like feel free to delegate away, right? Um, so that that's one solution to solve governance power centralization is have a bunch of liquid staking providers. Check, right? We've done that uh, as an ecosystem. The second thing is more inter-provider, like intra-provider. If each provider can design systems which maximize decentralization, and, and by maximize decentralization, I mean you have to create the least predictable system, right? The more predictable your delegation system is, the more likely it is uh, to get played, right? You can have someone rig the system to get more um, of your asset or delegate to a single validator. And I think what we do, or at least this is this was our thought process on why we chose the choice-based model, right? Because how people choose is the absolute least predictable. Like you cannot gain that. Uh, yeah. And it's good that other providers have different strategies, right? Because you need a diversity in strategies also. So I think I think we're good. So what's um what's the roadmap? Uh, what's the state of the chain? Uh, what features can people expect uh, in the coming weeks and months? Roy, you want to get that? Uh, sure, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically now, as I mentioned earlier during this episode, um, we're aiming for like a sort of steady release of, of, of features, um, like all the features that, that make up the Quicksilver protocol. Um, we'll be releasing, um, you know, the unbonding feature pretty soon, as well as signaling intent, which is the mechanism through which delegators can, you know, let the protocol know which, which way they want their stake to be, to, be, to be allocated, to how many validators, in which proportions. Um, we also plan to release a little feature called participation rewards. Um, again, you know, in the spirit of trying to, uh, you know, not impact in a negative way decentral the decentralization on, on the native chains. We have this, this feature that um, basically um, gives users um, quick tokens uh, based on you know their validator choice, so essentially, that's cool. yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's it was really this, the sort of designed with uh, decentralization in mind. And as a user, the more you stake with validators that are smaller, decentralized, more performant, etc., uh, the more um, quick emission you you get. And uh, that changes every epoch to sort of you know make up for the 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 flow of stake that moves across validators, and it was also sort of a cool idea for us to you know align chains and and align Quicksilver with with the rest of of the chains that are onboarded onto the protocol. So basically, for example, if you know you you stake your you're um, you're an atom holder and you stake your atoms through Quicksilver and you make um, you know good validator choice, quote unquote, 
then you get exposure like to 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 the quick token and you sort of become also a member of you know like the the, the quick token community or, or or something like that so that's that's also a cool feature that that we will be um releasing soon um we obviously governance by proxy is is a big one um and the other thing that we're looking forward to it even though realistically it will happen a little further down the line um is you know cosmosm on on quicksilver uh permissioned cosmosm of course because quicksilver technically is not like a smart contract chain um but essentially here the idea is oh we've been you know sort of innovating a lot with with the Quicksilver design and uh, sort of spearheading the interchain account implementation and building some cool stuff around uh, interchain queries as well. And that will allow users to, you know, leverage cool features on on the level of Quicksilver. But from a builder's perspective as well, it could be super interesting because there's, you know, a bunch of, you know, I don't know, DeFi protocols that can be built on on Quicksilver, leveraging uh, all the implementations that 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 we that we rolled out, and uh, yeah, that could be super interesting in terms of um, in terms of innovation and in terms of uh, the possibilities that that opens up for for for, for users for Q assets. And uh, yeah, that could be you know the base ground zero for um, for 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 DeFi innovation, leveraging Q assets on the Quicksilver zone. Um, that's that's really complementary to uh, to you know the the, the traditional uh, DeFi offering in in the ecosystem. Um, yeah, I'm I'm personally really looking forward to that. So yeah, I say this is what the next few months look like for Quicksilver. And obviously in parallel, we will be onboarding uh, chains um, across the ecosystem. And so, yeah, again, we're looking at a steady, you know, measured onboarding of chains and, you know, creating use cases for, 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 for those Q assets and uh, working with, with those teams and with those communities, which is really exciting. Very cool. And, um, you know, I think early on in your, in this journey, there was, there was, uh, a lot of chatter about Quicksilver, uh, being on interchain security that, uh, ended up not being the case. Is that still in, in the cards? Like, or is there an incentive for Quicksilver to go to interchain security at some point or, yeah. So yeah, we were we, we had a lot of talks with with the team, and we were you know super interested in implementing and onboarding interchain security v three, you know, and um, however, like it was always clear to us that we wouldn't be sort of launching with interchain security because that would create like an unnecessary sort of scheduling dependencies between yeah. you know the quicksilver chain and uh the launch of, of interchain security so in any case like from from our perspective like the the interchain security v3 is super promising and um you know if and when that becomes available i'm not i'm really not clear on the timeline right now i'm, I'm not sure when that is 
is, is planned and where that's headed. But um, when that becomes available, I mean, at that point, it will be now that the, the, the Quicksilver chain is live, it's going to be, you know, a community discussion and it's going to be up to, to the community whether Quicksilver is onboarded uh, as a consumer chain or not. So V3 means that you're benefiting from your own validator set, but also the hubs validator set effectively. Yes, exactly. I think that if it makes, exactly at that time, like if it, if it makes economic secure, economic sense from that perspective to do that, uh, yeah, it could be like a, a a good option. And uh, I'm asking this question because I know a lot of people want to know, you know what the question is. It's one airdrop. <laughs> yeah. God. Um, yeah, airdrop is <laughs> Q1 2023. So yeah, oh. in the, the so in the next the next few months. Okay. And and so, and in yeah. any case, like just one thing to mention about the Quicksilver airdrop is that it's not going to happen just at one moment in time. So obviously when that happens. Um, hopefully at the end of, of this quarter, um, it, the airdrop is going to go live for all the chains that will be, you know, onboarded on the protocol at that point. Um, but in any case, uh, it's, you know, interesting to consider that the Quicksilver airdrop is going to be continuous. And basically, whenever a new chain is onboarded onto the protocol, the, you know, stakers on those chains are going to receive a portion of 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 quick and the you know sort of the idea and philosophy behind this is that you know firstly we want you know we're a new chain and we want the quick token to be spread out as far and wide as possible in the cosmos ecosystem and we want the quicksilver community to be as diverse as possible and we also want to take into consideration like the future uh, Cosmos community, right? Of, of new cosmonauts that are going to, to be joining in, in, in the next years with new chains and, and everything. And it was also important for us to sort of align incentives between the Quicksilver chain and the other chains that get onboarded onto the protocol and make sure that, you know, there's as much overlap between the, the the respective communities of, of of each chain so yeah like back then when we when we designed this this sort of airdrop model we had this is sort of the, the things that we had in mind for cosmos hmm. there's a question here in the chat tom's asking if there's any plan to being integrated into mobile wallet like i guess kepler probably is, is what most people are used to using yeah, yeah. Uh, with both of them, Kepler and Cosmos Station, uh, we plan to be on their mobile wallets. Awesome. Well, um, we went a bit overboard here, but uh, thanks, uh, thanks for chugging along here. And uh, yeah, this was really great. I'm really happy we got to dive into liquid staking, but also the long-term plans for Quicksilver. Um, I'm still, yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly bullish on this product, and uh, yeah, I think you guys are one of the most competent teams uh, to be working on this, uh, on this, on this whole idea of liquid staking in Cosmos. So thanks for being on. Thanks, Seb, for having us. It's been really nice hanging out. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. 
And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. Uh, you can subscribe to the show, obviously, to get notified when I go live every week. Also, be sure to share this video with your friends if you like the content I'm putting out. You can also uh, stake your tokens with Interop. I'm on two networks. I'm on FMOS and also Quicksilver, although uh, I think right now uh, the tokens are not liquid. So, But uh, if you're listening to this in the future, and, uh, and they are, why don't you stake your tokens with me? I'd appreciate it. Thanks so much and see you next week.